Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all. Someone started waving, and then my mirror neurons fired. <laughs> oh, what a special evening, the last evening of the retreat. I can probably speak on behalf of my colleagues to thank you for being here. Thank you for staying here. <laughs> That's not always a given. I wouldn't go into kind of asking you to raise your hand if you notice the thought, let me go earlier. (laughs) Because some of you actually might share that in the group meetings, you know, that that came also in the field of awareness. And just also want to appreciate the courage it takes to do this, the persistence. Just keep showing up for yourself. But you've also been showing up for the community. And um, tomorrow at 10.30, a new retreat starts. The retreat of life. And uh, (laughs) that retreat has commuting tomorrow. It might have emails, seeing familiar people. It might be highly anticipated or dreaded. It will be a special day, one way or another. And your mind maybe has already kind of been projecting. Like maybe thinking about how am I going to speak to people about my experience? One suggestion, they might, only, they might only want to know that you're okay. <laughs> and also, it can take some time to really find words, especially the people who have never been on retreat. Take some time to find words to explain that experience. Maybe the mind projected into, shall I have a new career? Or maybe the mind has, you know, really been contemplating a big decision that you have to make. Another suggestion is pause also in the realm of your daily life and still see if that decision makes sense in that realm too. Because everything gets really magnified on retreat. So we would highly suggest to pause on making huge decisions at least tomorrow. (laughs) You might also have like already a strong intention or an aspiration. Every time when I come off retreat, I have the intention to be patient. That's really my big intention. And every time in life keeps telling me that it needs development. <laughs> Just before I went on this retreat, uh, our son Lou found out that parent-teacher conferences are coming up, so he's going to have a report card. And then when he found out about this news, he goes, Daddy, I'm going to make a report card about you too. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, what subjects? <laughs> Patience, he says. <laughs> Does not exceed uh, meet expectations. <laughs> That's how they grade them nowadays, with expectations. 
Oh boy, it's it's this Friday. Um, the pe- the, the parent teacher conferences. <laughs> I um I also want to share that <laughs> in a way, your retreat is only halfway. I've noticed that the effects of a retreat last almost exactly the same length as the length of the retreat. So in a way, you just have a whole half retreat waiting for you still. So the next six days or so can be extremely fruitful, actually, of seeing a lot. You've built up such a momentum of awareness. could be a very fruitful time to cherish what you've seen here, but also just to keep looking. And sometimes that even means that you might start to see some habit patterns way more clearly. Maybe not all very pleasant. I always thought that when I come off retreat, I'd be more patient, more open, more kind. I remember one time Chantal came and picked me up from the retreat. Half hour later, we were in an argument. (laughs) (laughs) And then... She's really cool. She always says, how do I come off in these talks? (laughs) But she sometimes then goes, so what about all that meditation, huh? (laughs) With her arms like this. Oh, boy. And um, I was thinking, and I got some help from Devin and Nakwe, like, in what way to frame a talk about taking the practice home? And um, what came to mind is a teaching. It's an old teaching from a Korean Zen master from the 11th century. His name is Shinul. And he has a powerful teaching, four words. Just as powerful for me as keep calmly knowing change. This one is also tattooed in my brain. It goes like this. Sudden awakening, gradual cultivation. Insights can arise in the moment, and then what do we do with them, right? One insight that I've heard so many of you share during the group meetings is the insight that the mind fabricates. It's a really important thing to see. It judges, it makes stories, it projects, it thinks, it can make mental images. That's its nature. Mindfulness can allow us to see the fabricating, making or building nature of the mind. This is a huge insight. Very often we don't like what it does, but that's its nature. It's the same thing with the ear. Its nature is to hear. If it's healthy, you're conscious, and there's a sound, hearing happens. The mind is just a sense, just like the ear. If there's consciousness and a working mind, 
A thought can be known. An emotion can be known. But having this insight is one thing. Having seen that, how do you cultivate it? This very first important insight. Because we can have seen it once here in retreat or other times. If we don't keep practicing, keep cultivating gradually, what happens is that we go back into the stories that the mind tells. And we're living our lives from the stories that the mind is telling or the other stories that we hear from others. And this practice is so powerful when we can recognize, oh, this is happening. The mind is constructing. We're not withdrawing from the experience. The constructing will still go on, but we know it. And from that place, we can become choiceful, just mindful and choices together. Because then we can make other decisions. We're not trapped in that loop of habitual thinking. I also want to share one insight that I had that came from practicing keep calmly knowing change. I was um, doing walking practice, and I went that whole loop around the pond that some of you might have, have done. And I was really in this normal pace. It was flowing. It was a lot of momentum. All of a sudden, a voice said, pause. (laughs) I stopped. And then I could feel the reverberations of the movement. The body was tingling. Everything everything felt like in, in flux. I looked around, and I saw the trees moving, the leaves. Noticed the thoughts coming and going. I went through every sense door. Everything was flowing, moving. And then all of a sudden I felt like that the impermanence that I was noticing internally and externally were the exact same. And at this moment of really feeling maybe a little classic and cliche, but one with everything. And then this whisper came and it said, trust impermanence. And it made total sense in that moment. It really framed that experience for me. It was a sudden awakening in terms of really feeling change happening everywhere without clinging. Actually, I remember the thought of holding on to something would not make any sense because everything was coming and going. Even craving didn't make any sense had a huge impact on me. Although it did not have that impact on Chantal when I told her, she asked me, what, how was your retreat? Oh, trust in permanence. She goes, okay. <laughs> For me, it meant the world. I could even, I once shared the same insight in another group here. And I said, like, I really want to remember it. Maybe I should tattoo it on my body. After the retreat at 10.30, this man comes up to me. I want to practice some dana with you. I'm a tattoo artist. Let's go. Let's do it. I got my gear. I'll put it on your arm. And I was like... I told him, I don't think my body is tattooable. I don't really... I don't know. I just... I, I, I chickened out. 
one day I'll do it. <laughs> I will. But it, it means so much. And I think it's really helpful, the things that might have touched you, if they came in some form of a word or an image, to record it for yourself. To make them something very meaningful that you will not forget, that you can actually start cultivating from that place. And I actually thought, this is it. (laughs) So I uh, had an interview with uh, our beloved Joseph, and I told him, Joseph, this is it. I got it. And he just looks at me, (laughs) described the situation, the experience. And then he said, so you frame this as this is it. I said, yeah, I do. (laughs) And he says, how about a little shift? Instead of saying this is it, this is this. And he just said, this is this. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. Because I was making the the insight like just this whole big thing, elevating it above any other experience. And then he actually suggested, he said, there is this Korean Zen master, 11th century, Chanul. Guess what he taught, Bart? Sudden awakening. Gradual cultivation. And I felt quite humbled when he said that, but also energized. I wanted to kind of really cultivate that new understanding, that new insight. And I realized that having the insight is definitely just one thing. How to bring it in the totality of your life. That's what this practice also is about. So I'd like to talk about a few other insights that is also a lot talked about by the Buddha. I also want to invite you to see if you can sometimes contemplate for yourself how you could cultivate them as well and develop them. And the first insight that the Buddha kept pointing to is the healing power of kindness. I think we've shared on the retreat this bold statement when he said, loving kindness is the greatest protection in the world. the greatest protection. And together on this retreat, we've also been cultivating ways like how can we connect with that feeling of kindness? I remember one night, I think it was Devon who shared the Metta Sutta with us. We first heard it in, was it Pali? In Pali, I believe. And then in English, or first in English and then in Pali. Every time when I hear this particular teaching, it's refreshing. 
and it connects me with kindness personally. So this is apart from the Metta Sutta. Like a caring mother holding and guarding the life of her only child, so with a boundless heart of loving kindness, hold yourself and all beings as your beloved children. Mm, delicious. And I think what I really appreciate about this practice so much is that it empowers us that we can open to this heart quality and we can cultivate it gradually. So I just want to kind of invite you to contemplate for a moment what would gradually cultivating kindness for you look like? Maybe just starting right now, in this moment. How would that manifest if you were to contemplate in this very moment to be kind. Could it manifest in letting the shoulders drop a little more? Shifting your body position softening the belly. Or wishing something kind for yourself. How could it be gradually cultivated in this very moment? One line that I also learned from Joseph is to say sometimes as an act of kind compassion, it's okay. It's okay. Even when it's not okay, it's okay. What would cultivating kindness look tomorrow for you? Just pause again. Let the fabricating mind do its natural thing. What's coming up in the mind? Could it be to drive carefully tomorrow? Because after practicing so much momentum of mindfulness, we're a little bit of in an altered state. Maybe drive slowly. Or maybe taking it slow with taking in the news tomorrow. Creating like relaxed atmosphere to open your phone. Seeing your inbox. 
What would happen if you tomorrow already see old habit conditioning arise? What would be a kind thing to do? I can share a few unkind things that I unintentionally did (laughs) as I came off retreat. The first one was telling me, for the rest of my life, I will meditate for 45 minutes every day. It's embarrassing to tell you how long that lasted. Two days. I found out that way more kind is if we want to kind of set a goal or an aspiration, that's my favorite word, can it be doable? Recently, Sharon Salzberg was teaching at the Community Meditation Center, and she said that um, she spoke to scientists who said that research has found out that 12 minutes a day already brings significant benefit. 12 minutes. I thought 12, but 12 minutes. You know what I also find really kind to do is when I skip a day, I have a big old Buddha in our our house. I just bow to the Buddha. Like I acknowledge, didn't do it today. (laughs) It feels good. It's kind. Um, I think it's also kind if you have the inspiration to integrate all this stuff here and keep cultivating to connect your practice to something that you already do anyway, preferably that you love doing. I found this great combo of swimming with awareness. Love it. I never have to tell myself, oh, come on, Bart, you got to do it. No, he wants to. I want to. I've missed it the last six days. What would it be like if you have a yoga practice to do it mindfully or dancing? I also noticed that my sitting practice really took off when I would do a mindful movement practice first. Because then the body, for some reason, would settle way better. To really give it time. This is how the Buddha really inspires me to keep practicing. He says, Wisdom arises from practice. Without practice, it decays. Knowing this two-way path of gain and loss, conduct yourself so that wisdom grows. The next major insight that the Buddha kept teaching is one that I actually didn't believe in the beginning. I'll share the passage where I go, really? So here he is with his attendant, Ananda, who is also his cousin. And Ananda says this. He looks at the Buddha and he says, This is half of the holy life, Lord. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable 
camaraderie. That's a hard thing to pronounce. (laughs) That's half of this holy life. And the Buddha replies with an exclamation mark, don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Friendship is actually the whole of the holy life. When a meditator has an admirable people as friends or companions and comrades, they can be expected to develop and pursue the Eightfold Path, the Noble Eightfold Path, this path to well-being. And at first, to be honest with you, I kind of believe, Ananda, like friendship is important, but not the whole life, right? Because I remember being on a retreat, and I'm not sure if this is your experience, but I n- did not always enjoy the company of others. During walking practice, there was also always Mr. Squishy Pants next to me. Like, shh, 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 shh. He would always walk in the exact same lane that I already had kind of taken for myself. Even when he would walk in the hall. <laughs> kind of all these shh, shh, shh. And then, come on, friendship and the, the whole of the holy life. But really seriously, uh, would you have practiced as much uh, as you did if you would be here by yourself? Would you have got up so early? Thank you. Some of them, some people shaking. No. <laughs> you know, there is something special, even though we, you might not know anybody here, of doing this together. Maybe we just so take a look around. You know, you've you've been hanging out with this group of people for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. So many things the mind might have constructed about the person sitting in front of you or behind you. Mm-mm-mm. And also what I heard so many times in the discussions was that so many of you recognize something someone else shared about their practice. That's really amazing. We have so many, such different lives and we occupy so many different social locations in this society. And yet on some level, we share this human experience. I I just want to share one of my favorite stories, if you don't mind. You might have heard me say this one before. There was a year in a high school in Chelsea, Manhattan, and they had invited me to teach a group of high schoolers, I think they were juniors and seniors, three times a week meditation for two whole semesters. And and they said, you can do whatever you want, Bart, there's no set uh, curriculum. I really didn't know what to do in the beginning. But the group really connected. They were open to each other. They really wanted to reflect on all kinds of things. That was the group also with the cell phone. And another practice I really like, speaking of being in community, is called inside dialogue. In that particular practice, you learn to be mindful and you cultivate it, train it, while you listen and speak with others in a formal way. And I thought... I, I told the group, like, this is another form of meditating. You'll have to sit in pairs. One goes, the other one listens. 
and just really practicing listening deeply and speaking your subjective truth. And he said, well, you know, we want to do that. And, uh, and so they asked me if I could talk about judgments, if that would be the reflection. So in the first round, I asked them, just notice what arises if you contemplate any judgments about school. <laughs> and they started talking. It was really kind of a lot of energy. The second round was this. What happens if you contemplate judgments that might be directed to yourself? The room got really quiet. Slowly, slowly, I started hearing voices and exchanging experiences. Then we came back in the large room, in the large space, and I invited them to unpack how it was. One young man, he stood up. Jonathan puts his hand on his heart and he says, Sorry what I'm about to say now. I apologize in advance. I never thought that other people judge themselves too. I'm so grateful you do it. I'm not alone. And it got really quiet in the hall. And all these heads are like, yeah, Jonathan. And it was such a powerful moment of the shared human experience that was being recognized. Our beloved, venerable Thich Nhat Hanh, he puts it in this way. He says, we have individual eyes and sangha eyes. When a sangha shines its light on our personal views, we see more clearly. So let me ask you to contemplate for a moment. How can you gradually cultivate friendship, community? For me, without the support of teachers and friends on this path, I would have stopped. And I found now also over two years now of only doing stuff online, how connected that can still make me feel. Just these weekly connections with people And so when you move into the retreat of life, maybe just see if you can investigate how you can connect or maybe uh, reconnect with community. It can also just be in listening to teachings. Like all these teachings you hear, you can find on a website called Dharma Seed. We'll talk a little more concrete about these things tomorrow. I think another thing that I find really helpful, if you feel inspired, book another retreat. 
especially when your people, your, your peeps around you, are maybe not so much into you leaving for a while, book it way ahead. <laughs> then they get, get used to it too. Found it very helpful. So everyone can anticipate that you want to do another deep dive. And also to see if you can see Sangha in the most broadest way. Maybe also outside of the Dharma community, where you feel connected. Because it's not a given that everyone feels welcome, safe, or represented in Dharma communities. I promised one, I call him a a Dharma brother, to bring his name into the space. His name is Asid. And I met him last summer. And um, Asid lives on the beach of Coney Island and is homeless without a tent. He's been doing that for a year and a half. And he used to be in the Navy. uh, Has issues with um, identity theft and practices Islam. And I see him about three, four times a week. And my conversations with him about meeting difficulty, like, do you remember, not last weekend, but the weekend before, if you were in this region, this snowstorm? A seat was out. And so, not last Monday, but the Monday before, I saw him again. He said, how, did you, how was it? And he said, if I do not entertain the thoughts, why me? Why is the bathroom not open? Why this weather? And I focus on my friends, I'm okay. And his friends are the seagulls, the pigeons, and the starlings. And just to be with someone who shares their uh, wisdom, and their way of befriending difficulty. It's feel that connection. I feel a connection. He also shares that every time he looks at the horizon, because he looks at the at the ocean, and he says where the uh, horizon and the ocean meet. I see that's where I see Allah. So what would gradual cultivation of friendship look like? I think that's a really important question. The Buddha also said that the first prerequisite for awakening is friends. Not mindfulness. Friends. And I also want to invite you to, especially now that the Retreat of Life starts, to be open to uh, insights that arise a sudden awakening that arises in daily life, in the messiness of it all, within your family. And that it again really kind of, it shakes you, you feel it, and it becomes important to develop it gradually. And so another thing I want to share with you from my personal experience is how the sudden awakening came about to really name, investigate, and become active in the face of so much injustice, 
so much social and racial injustice. And for years I've already I felt like I was an advocate of social justice, but it was very intellectual. I wasn't speaking out, I wasn't doing anything. I would be reading about it or I didn't put it into action. It wasn't something I was cultivating gradually. The shift for me, the sudden awakening, happened about 14 years ago when Chantal and I moved to New York. And we could stay with our dear friend Gil, who has a big apartment in the Bronx. And we already knew him before we decided to move to New York. Gil had also visited us in Holland. And when we came, he said, He's such a generous man. He said, um, use my apartment as a stepping stone and then find your own place. And his roommates were fine with it too, John and and Wayne. And then after a a month or so, Chantal went to Gil and said, we're not ready yet. It's so expensive and we both didn't have jobs yet. He said, no worries. A month later, I did that again. And I also said, here's some you know, money for the rent. After three months, he goes, stay as long as you like. And we ended up living with Gil and Wayne and John for five and a half years in his apartment. (laughs) Okay, in my defense, (laughs) we became family. We really did, and, and... I also really appreciate that I can bring his name in because Gil is not well. He's got COPD and lung cancer. And, um, but the sudden awakening to, be, to really start looking at myself more and become active happened. And one night, um, Gil lives in, off the number four train. We got off at 183rd. And Chantal and I went into Sammy's, a, a corner store, and just get some orange juice, potato chips. And then we were standing outside the corner store, and then there was these two young cops, and they, um, they said hello, and uh, they asked how we were. And then we just stood there for a little while, and then when we moved, they said, um, have a good night, get home safe. We came into the apartment. Wayne was cooking. No, Gil was cooking John was there too. All of a sudden, Wayne comes back in the house 15 minutes later. And he's like, I'm so mad. So sick and tired of these cops. And we asked what happened. And he said, I went to Sammy's. That's the same store. And I just got myself a soda, Tang, and I wanted to drink it outside. And these two young cops came to me. And there was no one on the sidewalk. You are obstructing traffic, foot traffic. Keep it moving. And that really got me so mad. It came so close to me. It was just like, ugh. And it's not that that Wayne, John, and Gil had told me before about their issues with racism and oppression. But I felt this sudden awakening. I want to become more active. And so this... This moment has become another guiding principle that I want to keep kind of remembering to gradually cultivate my part in this so that I at least try not unconsciously or consciously contribute to this unjust system.
of power, privilege, and oppression. So one of the things I've been doing is I've been really looking at my own social location as part of this work, and also do that with other people. Because this being, this being is in a social location that is made up of a cisgender male, meaning I identify my gender in the exact same way as the doctor did when I was born. I identify as straight, white, able-bodied, well-educated, married, a father. I recently started calling myself (laughs) middle-aged. And what I find so powerful about Chanul's teaching, sudden awakening, gradual cultivation, is that old habits might come back in. So in the summer, and actually for the whole of the last year, I was in the Netherlands in an RV trailer park where we have a trailer. And there's a communal pool. And um, there was one uh, man standing next to the pool. And there was two kids who were playing in the water, two kids of color. And this man comes up to me, and he always talks a lot. And I was already like, oh. And he goes, so you live in New York, right? And he gave me this whole spiel about his vision about politics. And I felt like, oh, I'm just going to not say much. Uh-huh. And then at that day, it was the Dutch commemoration of the ending of slavery. And he's saying, did you see all these ceremonies on TV? So much attention for something that happened so long ago. What do we have to do with this? And I could feel my body getting really tight. But I went back into that old conditioning that comes with this privileged social location of not saying anything. I kind of froze. And the conditioning within me of... um, being conflict avoidant, I guess, too, was stronger than me standing up and saying something. And then he left. I walked back to the trailer and um, come back frustrated in the, in the trailer. And she goes, what happened to you? I said, I, she had the story. And she looks at me and she goes, you just could have said, I don't agree. Why didn't you say anything? And, and then I just realized that the old conditioning was stronger in that moment. It made me only more um, how you say that in English? Dedicated to not make that to fall back into that old habit again. I think this path is allowing us to be human. That's what I like about this teaching, gradual cultivation. Sometimes we, we do things that are not so skillful or not in line with the awakening. 
yes, I have this insight, trust impermanence. Do I bump up to things changing the way I don't want to? Absolutely. So one thing that we really invite you to do on the retreat of life is to really make sure if there is something that really became clear or important to you, an aspiration, see if you can feed it, cultivate it. And it might not have even arisen yet. It might happen in the next six, six days. And know that you can start over again and again. That's what I find so powerful too. You can start right now. So every time we can make that fresh start to find a way home to natural awareness. I want to end with bringing in some inspirational words that helped me to keep gradually cultivating. And they're from Mother Teresa. I never look at the masses as my responsibility. I look at the individual. I can only love one person at a time. I can only feed one person at a time. Just one. Just one. And so you begin, I begin. I picked up one person. Maybe if I didn't pick up that one person, I wouldn't have picked up 42,000. The whole work is only one drop in the ocean. But if I didn't put that drop in, the ocean would be one drop less. Same thing for you. Same thing in your family. Same thing in the community where you live. Just begin. One. One, one. So let's pause for a moment to sit a little bit. Thank you for your kind attention.